You're looking at the big picture with Edwin Eisentraff on WCPT 820. Okay, welcome back. It's a little after 3 o'clock here in the Upper Midwest, which means in about a half hour, I'll be taking your calls at 773-763-9278. But until then... Um, it is uh, my pleasure to be joined again by Sarah Posner, an investigative journalist and author. She wrote that book, Unholy, Why White Evangelicals Worship at the Altar of Donald Trump. And her research and writing focuses on this. Unholy is the right word, fusion of the religious right and today's GOP. Sarah, welcome back. Thanks for having me again. So I got to ask, do you see any, is the dynamic different this time around? Are there splits in the evangelical community as compared to the moment when you wrote Unholy? Um, you know, are, are some evangelicals moving back towards love thy neighbor as opposed to string uh, razor wire in the river? Or, you know, is abortion and hating the left still their total worldview? Um, loving Donald Trump, hating the left, uh, wanting to ban abortion and LGBTQ rights and, uh, fighting the woke agenda. That's still pretty much, uh, their platter of, uh, of, uh, items, agenda items. I, I think I'm right about this. I think I read a piece once by a Harvard professor, Thomas Patterson. I, I, I could have sworn it was a few years ago, and he said that white evangelicals were the largest voting bloc in the GOP, and it was like two to one. Is that, does that sound right to you? They make up about 30% approximately um, of the GOP electorate. Yeah. Wow. So important, because also... They vote at very high rates, too. So, you know, you have this very politically homogenous constituency that are very dependable voters, both in general elections and in midterms. Um, so they're a formidable voting bloc for the GOP. They would not win elections without them, obviously. Well, and particularly formidable or motivated in primaries, so they determine what the GOP candidates are, you know, who they are and what that yes. party looks like. Yes, and and it will be Donald Trump. Yeah, even if he's in jail? Mm, yeah, especially if he's in jail. Yeah, I think so, too. Very dangerous. Yes, indeed. Um, you know, and I guess, you know, there are questions as to whether – any of his uh, trials would be completed before the election, whether even if they are, whether he would be uh, and if he was sentenced to prison, whether uh, he would be out on appeal, you know, out of prison while his appeal was pending. So, you know, there are a lot of unknowns as to whether he would actually, I mean, also he would have to be convicted in one or more of these cases. And so there are, but there are a lot of unknowns obviously about whether, that would be the case by the time the 2024 general election rolls around. Right. I totally agree with that. But in fairness, I don't want to stop start at ground zero and let that go. He uh, lost 50 some cases 
related to his losing the election last year. He lost a case mm-hmm. for his company about cheating on their taxes. And he lost a case with Eugene Carroll about sexual assault and libel. So he's already, a, you know, uh, we know a, we, there's not much we don't know. About he has him. a really bad track record in court. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Um, but, you yeah. know, criminal cases are different. Criminal ends, you know, the one in Florida is quite complicated with the classified documents. And so I think that, you know, with the potential for that one getting put, be, getting pushed off scheduling wise, um, I mm-hmm. think is pretty high. Um, but, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. It seems like, you know, something's happening uh, in D.C. He got the target letter. Um, so something pretty evidently is coming down the pike, um, from Jack Smith in DC, unknown how quickly that would get scheduled. You know, there are a lot of moving parts here, obviously. So I, I just don't understand the moment really, or maybe I do, but here's how I understand it. The passions of this group, as you talked about, um, uh, abortion, trans, LGBTQ and trans rights, um, Donald Trump and all that chaos. None of that really moves our country forward. I mean, it's not like there are thousands and thousands of trans athletes competing in the states. There may be three, five, you know, in some states, and yet Mm -hmm. they're bending themselves into pretzels trying to make that the most important issue people face when Anybody who walks around any community can name 70, 80 things that are, uh, you know, that, that we should take care of, right? That just government should do. This guy's all this noise, Sarah. It has nothing to do with moving the country forward. And it takes an enormous amount of time. I just don't understand how we, I mean, I get that there are movements like this in a country, but how can anybody confuse this with governing where there's actual work to do? Well, I, th- I think a really important thing to understand about the way that white evangelicals see the world, see their place in the world, see the role of government in the world, is that they don't believe that government should have any power apart from, say, you know, uh, having some uh, law enforcement authority uh, over criminals, right? They believe that um, the primary um vehicles of authority in society are the church and the family and within the church and the family, the men in the church and the men in the family. Um, But they believe in an extremely limited government. And so the notion that, um, you know, like the way you frame it is that, you know, there are so many other issues that they could be focusing on to move the country forward. They don't want to move the country forward. They don't want government to be doing anything for anybody. They want, you know, uh, Christian churches and right-wing Christian believers to have control of the way our society is run. So they believe that government should have a limited role in people's lives, except when it comes to um, the government banning abortion or banning gender-affirming care. They believe in that because in their view of the world, um, the government should be doing very limited things, but when it does things, it should be doing things to advance what they would call godly um, objectives or a biblical worldview. And so 
there's no point in trying to understand, like, well, why don't they want to move the country forward? They don't because their entire view of the world is based on this this framework. And so when you're operating within that framework, you refuse to see the prospect of, you know, the government fixing the roads or the government providing health care to everyone or canceling student debt or any of the number of things or, 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 or regulating guns. Any of the things that are on most people's agenda are, are quite decidedly not on their agenda. And the fact that they play this critical role in the Republican Party is the primary reason why nothing happens because they they get this outsized power where, you know, the Senate is roughly, you know, almost, you know, just a little bit over 50-50 and the Republicans have this slight majority in the House and it's all being driven by the views of this very significant uh, force within the party. Well, so one of the things you said they actually do believe in is maybe having a military that protects us. Right. And yet sure. in, yeah. it hasn't stopped Tommy Tuberville from objecting yeah, to every man. promotion you know, in the armed he, services yeah. and damaging the military. Yeah. 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 Well, OK, so let's let's unpack that, because Tommy Tuberville is, you know, I almost said something I probably shouldn't say on the air. Uh, Tommy Tuberville is a terrible senator. He's putting our national security at risk. Top brass in the military say so. His Senate colleagues say so. Yet he's being lionized on the Christian right because he supposedly is preventing this, you know, woke agenda from being carried out in the military and preventing abortions from happening in the military. And so, therefore, he is a hero, regardless of the impact on our military readiness or our national security. So all of those things and all of that grandstanding trumps the supposed, you know, interest in having a robust military. So we, they, we should ban books because, you know, our delicate population uh, is too squeamish to see images that are sexualized, right? That's their view. And yet they run, they, they held a congressional hearing so they could show naked pictures of Hunter Biden. So Marjorie Taylor Greene is like a classic kind of figure here, right? She professes to be um, a Christian. Um, she has said she's a proud Christian nationalist and, you know, a Bible-believing, church-going Christian. Um, yet somehow she's obsessed with the idea that there are naked pictures of Hunter Biden and that that alone, that she's justified in showing them because that alone would show what a terrible person Hunter Biden is or that he's part of the quote-unquote Biden crime family, as the right likes to say. And, you know, she's just this gross, hypocritical, power-hungry, disgusting figure in our politics right now. Um, and you know, how far is too far for her? What will it take for us to find out how far is too far uh, for the right for her to take? I mean, Kevin McCarthy hasn't done anything about her. Um, she doesn't get any rebukes from the Christian right at all. Um, not at all. Uh, and 
she's, you know, she's considered a hero who's speaking, you know, truth to the power of the Biden crime family. Okay, I can't even, I, I, I can't, I, 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 there is no Biden crime family. And I know. there is it's a like Trump crime family, phrase, though. I mean, his family right? company has it. been found to be criminal. So we have one right. that through a court of law has been found criminal. Let's just call it like it is. I can't. Hey, right. Sarah, I know, but they, I, they develop these phrases and then and then they just use them so regularly and so casually that it just becomes part of their lexicon. And so it's genius propaganda, right? Because if you say it enough times, there are going to be, you know, not very well-informed people out there who are going to start to believe it. That's the whole purpose behind using a phrase like that, using it over and over again. And if you then show naked pictures at a congressional hearing, it'll just cement the idea in, in low-information voters' heads that the Bidens are terrible. That's the whole goal here. It's like, you know, that's, the, that's their propaganda machinery. I just don't see, I mean, I, you know what? I've read the Gospels, read the whole book. I just don't see Christian values anywhere here. I mean, where does it say you put razor wire in, in a river and throw children uh, into the water, which is what, you know, Greg Abbott has decided yep. we should, he should do in Texas. What part well, just because of... They, just because they say that they're Christians doesn't mean that they conform to an interpretation of Christianity that many American Christians hold. They're using Christianity as a political bludgeon. And, you know, once you just accept that and that we call them the Christian right or we call them Christian nationalists, like, just accept that that's a political framing as opposed to a religious framing. They're a political movement that's, you know, using religion as as a bludgeon for their political goals. But, you know, it's not like throughout history there haven't been Christians who claim to be Christian and do things that we would say that, that you know, many, many people who are Christian, many people who aren't Christian would say that seems inconsistent with what, Jesus Christ preach. Well, that has been yeah, that's true. true in every religion. That's been true throughout true history. I mean, it's not like yeah. there's like there's been two thousand years of people just uh, you know being kind to their neighbors and turning the other cheek. Hardly. Right. All right. When last we talked, uh, General Flynn was out rounding up an, uh, an army of the faithful. Is that still going on? What's what? What's that about? What's the, what do you know about that? So Flynn and uh, some other sort of uh, people in this movement. You know, it's kind of like a. Uh, it, there are these uh, charismatic Christian movements, like the New Apostolic Reformation, and other. Uh, other uh, right-wing Christian movements that claim that there are modern-day apostles and prophets who are saving the Christian nation from its internal enemies. And yeah, uh, Flynn got, yeah, Flynn got, you know, hooked up with this, and they were going around the country holding these revivals, um, you know, using this kind of. Uh, 
bellicose, militant form of Christianity to basically get people riled up that the deep state was coming after Donald Trump and would come after them and they needed to fight this spiritual battle to save America from the deep state and the woke left and all the rest of it. Um, whether they're still touring the country or not, I actually don't know. Um, I haven't looked at it in a, in a couple of months, um, but they had been, you know, basically setting up these speak, this speaking tour or revival tour where they went, went around to different places and they met with some resistance uh, in some places because of uh, from Christians who argued that this wasn't Christianity um, and they met with some resistance from some, I think in some cities uh, from just, you know, the fact that they were using this kind of inciting violent language, um, whether they're still doing it, I don't know. I would expect that as the presidential campaign heats up, uh, events like that are going to become actually sadly more numerous. Oh, I'm glad that, that they haven't popped up on your radar screen. And, and all of these examples are lead me to sort of one, uh, my biggest concern. For a while, this, this group was evangelizing, was getting new adherents, was growing. I have a sense that the moment has passed, that um, Americans are, uh, are tired of this, and they're not recruiting new members with the same... Um, skill, <laughs> speed that they ha- did once upon a time and maybe losing them. Is, what's your sense about the size of this movement? Well, they are a smaller percentage of the population than they were um, 10, 15, 20 years ago. However, that percentage, they're a shrinking percentage of the population because of a number of factors. One is, you know, white people are, you know, a, a smaller segment of the population as a whole because, you know, the younger generation is less white than the older generation. And similarly, the younger generation is less religious than the older generation. So in terms of a percentage of the population, they're definitely smaller. They're like 14% of the population, whereas around the time that Bush was president, they're more like 20% of the population or maybe 20, 25% of the population. So they're a shrinking um, percentage of the population. However, you know, there's like we t- discussed a few minutes ago, there's 30% of the Republican electorate, right? So they have this outsized power in our politics, even though, and, and part of the reason why they have that outsized power in our, our politics you know, I, I say even though they're a shrinking percentage of our population, but those two things actually go together because it's the fear that they are experiencing, that they are losing that cultural ground that propels them into these very uh, backlashy political goals like banning abortion and banning gender affirming care and banning trans athletes from participating and that sort of thing. Um, and so... Yes, that, you know, they are a shrinking percentage of the population, but they have not become a shrinking percentage of the Republican Party. In fact, I saw a Pew poll recently, you know, just in the last week or two, which showed that a higher percentage of white evangelicals identify as Republicans 
since Trump was president than before. Now, that might be that because white evangelicals who were disgusted, the small percentage of them who were disgusted with Trump don't self-identify as evangelical anymore, or it's that white evangelicals are so fervently MAGA now that there are just more, you know, a, a higher percentage of them are identifying as, as uh, Republicans. So, you know, this is where it leaves us with the politics, even though they're losing that cultural ground. Okay. What should I be paying attention to as we um, gear up for another year's worth of political fun? Well, I think that, you know, there's a lot of coverage of Trump's rivals in the primary. And I think it's all a law of sound and fury because just a few weeks ago, you know, Ron DeSantis was the candidate who could stop Trump. And in the last week or so, we've seen a, a, a proliferation of articles about how his campaign is in deep, deep trouble, deep financial trouble, you know, just like bleeding money, cutting staff, doesn't know where more fundraising is coming from, is blowing it on, um, uh, you know, on Media, earned media and otherwise media because he spent his entire governorship in Florida shunning and mocking and being um, rude and rude towards the mainstream media, thinking that he could achieve what he needed to achieve by only talking to conservative media. Well, now he's found out that that doesn't work. So he goes on CNN, but, you know, he's completely overshadowed in the news by Trump's uh, you know, truth socialing about his target letter. You know, everything is just Trump, Trump, Trump. And so, you know, just like Ron DeSantis can't gang grounded against Trump, so will not Nikki Haley, so will not Tim Scott. You know, the list goes on. So we're just going through this charade of will there be a viable rival to Trump? And there will not be. The base is behind Trump and he's going to win the nomination again. And yeah, sure. It's, you know, news that people are running against him, but there's too much of that um, sort of horse racy who's up, who's down, who might be the next person. And now we're hearing that it's the next person is Tim Scott, that, that, you know, DeSantis is out of the picture and the next person will be Tim Scott. Well, I'm here to tell you today, it will not be Tim Scott and it will not be the next, person uh the the political horse race media decides to settle on okay so uh the country is stuck with donald trump again yes yeah well it looks like this is a um a real battle for the soul of a country whether this 14% of our population, by virtue of embedding in a great American political party, can impose, I think the, I think the word they use is dominion, after all, mm -hmm. um, on the rest of us. Yeah. Um, right. Or whether the rest of us are going to say, uh, yeah, you know what? No, we are not going to have the government impose a way of life on us. Um, and just to be clear, when you're whining that we're doing that to you, we're not. No one's telling you what to do. We're just telling you not to tell somebody else what to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Um, is there a better way to, uh, is there any way to uh, campaign against them um, uh, that speaks to them? Or is this just a fight that we just have to win without them? Yes, the latter. I mean, I think that in the mid-2000s, there were attempts made by Democrats to not, they knew that they wouldn't win over all evangelicals, right? But they thought if they could peel some away, that maybe, you know, that would be the margin that could turn elections. And that just proved to be a fool's errand, right? Because the things that Democrats did to try to win over those quote unquote values voters was to soften their position on abortion or soften their position at that time, because this was pre Obergefell, obviously soften their position on same sex marriage. And none of those things really worked. They did not peel away even sufficient evangelicals to win elections. And, um, you know, when they won elections, they won them anyway. Um, and it was just kind of a pointless exercise. And I think what it did was it obscured for a lot of people what the religious right really wanted. It made it seem like, well, like we can negotiate them. We can come to a compromise with them. We can come to a compromise with them on abortion. We can come up to a compromise with them on same-sex marriage. And the answer to that is no, the religious right does not want to compromise with you. They, they want to win. And so Democrats have to want to win, act like they want to win, and also act like they can win with their positions. And um, I think that recent events have shown that they can in Kansas, in Wisconsin, with regard to abortion rights. Right. And can and will, Sarah, can and will. Yes. Can and will. I think Democrats have to have more swagger about that as opposed to being afraid of rattling conservatives with a too robust position on these things. Yeah. I intend to shake and rattle as much as possible as uh, the time has gone by. And I didn't even have a chance to ask you uh, about since I just saw it on one of your tweets about Hillary Mantel and that cycle that she wrote, because after all, you had a crazy king and a very interesting religious time and a guy who tried to figure out how to run the government. There's some interesting Uh parallels. And I know you're a good reader, so I would have liked that, but we're out of time. Oh, okay. We'll talk about Hillary Mantel another time. (laughs) We will. Sarah, as always, fascinating, and thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. You too. All right, everybody. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, 773-763-9278. I want to hear from you. You can't fake caring for people. You know, people will read through it. They care about that child. At Ann and Robert H. Lurie Children's Hospital of Chicago, we know that caring for your child takes more than medicine. You feel so comfortable. Like they make you feel special. And you are. I love them. With cutting-edge treatments and kid-friendly care, there's a reason Lurie Children's is ranked the number one children's hospital in Illinois. My child is well taken care of. It's like family. Lurie Children's, all for your one. 